Welcome to Home's Room. Just like homeroom, we start off our day getting together with our homies, swapping stories, even a little kiss and tell action. This podcast contains language not suitable for younger listeners. Topics about sex and mental health. Discretion is advised. Our views are our own. Let class begin. Home's Room is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify is a total package podcast tool from getting started to distribution, in-app editing, and much more. They even help you monetize your podcast. All of that for free. With a web and mobile-based app, recording anywhere on anything is a breeze. Get your voice heard with Anchor by Spotify. From wanting to save lives to actually building worlds, doing it from her own recipe, a cosplay queen and all-around badass with the right amount of sparkle, Danielle M. Orsino, welcome to Home's Room. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, is there um, anything you could tell us about yourself that uh, kicked this off? What do you What do? You do? Uh, what, what maybe did you do? Uh, well, now I'm an author. I also uh, work a little bit for Four Horsemen Publications, which is my publisher. But before all that, I was first a competitive martial artist, and then I transferred into nursing, and that led me to my authorship. So it's been a long journey and probably, some would say, an unorthodox journey. Yeah, unorthodox is definitely <laughs> how that goes. Um, from martial artist to you know, cosplay, it seems like a normal transition, but martial artist to author, that one seems a little, uh, the, the roots got a little mixy there, but I think that's awesome. Anybody can write. And that's what, uh, that's kind of what the world is about is finding new tasks, new skills, new traits, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, how many books do you have? You said you're an author and you're published. How many books do you have? Uh, currently I have five novels, one novella, and then I've just turned in book six of the series, probably about give or take a month ago. And I'm waiting for that to come back from my publishing house the, under editing. So hopefully that will be out June 16th will be the last, uh, the last book in volume one of the Birth of the Face series. And that's titled Forgive Us. And then we go on to volume two. So it's been, awesome. um, it's been a lot. It's cool. So uh, Birth of the Fae is the, is the series. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you tell us uh, what and who are Fae and how are they different in your world from normal Fae? Because I think that that's a thing. They're, I think they're a little bit different, right? Yes. Uh, Fae actually is an acronym. It's the Fellowship Aegis of Earth. So the Defenders of Earth uh, is my Fae. They're a little different in the sense that they were angels who were locked out of heaven. They just can't go home. So they're stuck here on Earth after the war between the creator and Lucifer. And there's two uh, factions of them. There is the virtue angels, which are kind of nature's angels. They're sent here to prep the Earth for the creator's next experiment, which is humans. And then there's the power brigade angels, which are the archangels foot soldiers. They're the ones actually doing the fighting against Lucifer. And then one day both find out they just can't go back home. They can't go home to the shining kingdom. They don't know why they're just locked out. 
So they have to figure out how to survive here on Earth and their their wings slowly and painfully decay. Both of the factions don't know that the other one is stuck here. The Power Angels kind of figure out the Virtue Angels are here, but they stay hidden for a little while. And then they become, they take the acronym FEI because they kind of figure out, all right, we're here. So they become what we know as humans as our um, polytheistic pantheon of gods and goddesses. Throughout yeah. history, they become the Egyptian gods and goddesses, the Romans, the Greeks, uh-huh. pagans, whatever. And they figure out when they're worshipped, they have power. It, it enhances their power. So that's kind of where the journey goes to is them just trying to find new identities and then live amongst the humans. And that's where the series takes us. I like that. That's one of those. Um, I knew a little bit about that going in, but um, I am one of those people that when you look at the similarities between a lot of the um, a lot of the mythological beings, gods, whatever you you know, whatever you want to call them, there's so many similarities across the board with them that I like that. I like the way you lended that kind of a theory to this. That's that's pretty awesome. I like that. Thank you. Um, you are. You are also a member of this, the Dyslexic Writers Club. How has that journey been for you? Oh, wow. I've learned a lot about that. Uh, what I've <laughs> learned is, uh, one, I need a lot of editors because I'm not going to catch everything. Uh, the word body yeah. and abdomen is probably my kryptonite, but I handwrite <laughs> everything first. And so some of oh, my wow. angel names and, and fey names have changed. For example, King Jarbok was originally Far- Farjuk in uh when i hand wrote him and then when i went to type him jarvok came out and kind of in my head he was like yeah i like that name better go with that uh, so <laughs> the dyslexic the dyslexic changes have uh you know some worked out really good some have not uh it's funny one of my author friends uh cr rice she laughs because sometimes when she reads my work she's like yeah i know it's you because whenever you write into or not she's like those two words interchange and I'm like, yeah, she's like, that's when I know it's you. It's kind of like become your signature. So dyslexia, it's it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. It slows me down. But in one sense, I really have to sit and, and think about it. But uh, writing, handwriting everything first and then going to type helps me in the editing process. So I, I think I don't really see it anymore as a weakness. I've just kind yeah, of embraced absolutely. it absolutely, and just been like, yeah. okay, my brain works a little differently, whatever. That's exactly what we're about here at Home's Room. Um, we, uh, we like to say you're not, there's no, there's no failure, not saying that you can't fail, but you just learn mm-hmm. and know what you need to do differently, know what you need to do better. Uh, and that very much sounds like their, your approach to being a writer with dyslexia. I am also a uh, member of the dyslexic, the dyslexic authors club. Um, I, uh, yeah, right, there you go. Um, so I definitely know those struggles and I like that you write out by hand first and then try and then, you know, go back in and type it. My handwriting is so small that I would lose words and <laughs> probably not catch them all. So I, I don't know that I could pull that off. So that's a talent to me that I, I would not be able to possess. So there you, that's already one check mark mm-hmm. in, in that box of like impressing me. So that's awesome. Um, you know, when it comes to writing, one thing that like, I didn't plan on having so many writers on here before uh, I I started interviewing people. And it just so happened that like 
the people that were responsive, number one, because that's always part of it. But yeah. the people that, that I've been like, man, I like what you do. I like, you know, your the way that everything is presented have ended up being a lot of writers. And your stories are similar to mine in the way that we've built our own worlds and you know, one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to do a little bit of research, listen to your interviews, listen to things that you've said, you know, uh, stalk your Instagram a little bit to see what you got going on mm-hmm. just to um, to get a better idea of who I'm talking to you. And um, you almost have a like a method acting approach to the way that you write. And that's so interesting to me. And I think that saying, you know, in any uncertain terms like method acting is, you know, where you put yourself in the role, you are living as that thing. And, you know, for the people that are going to be able to see this, you are in costume right now. And I think that that's, that's awesome. And to be able to write and see those characters in your head is, is pretty awesome. So I just wanted to say that that's super interesting to me. Can you tell me a little bit about like how that process works for you? Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I, I kind of thought everybody did this. It's very weird because when I talk to other creatives, every all of them think that everybody writes the way they do. And I, I was one mm-hmm. of them. I thought, you know, everybody acts it out in their head. Or when when I write, I first kind of hear the story in my head and, and play it out in a sense. I thought yeah. everybody did that. I'm like, oh, don't, don't you all just walk around with like the story playing in your head? And like hear everybody arguing and the voices and people are looking at me like, no, it's, it's not, I, you know, I write an outline, I do this. And I'm like, really, you just don't walk around with a constant monologue, like JD from Scrubs. Cause that's kind of my <laughs> life. Like I thought yeah. we all did that with, you know, the soundtrack and this, and they were like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm like, oh, okay. That's, that's just me. Got it. Uh, I, yeah, I tend to just hear the story first in my head. And I, I walk around with that going on. When I decided to start dressing up as my characters, I cosplayed. You know, I've cosplayed. I've been to Comic-Con for years. You know, I've been Wonder Woman. I've been Harley Quinn, Catwoman, Poison Ivy. I've done all that. When it came time to write, and as I was writing, when I was doing the characters, I would think about what they're wearing. Because obviously you want to describe it, but also how do they move? What do they do? And it came down to what, what, what they wear because it could be cumbersome. And how realistic yeah. are the fight scenes, things like that. So I dressed up and that helped me embody them and all that stuff. But again, I thought everybody did that. Like, wouldn't, you know, you're doing <laughs> a fight scene. Don't you want to know, you know, Edna Mole, no capes. Does that work? You know, the Incredibles, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I just, it just seemed natural to me. It didn't seem that far gone in, in the realm. And probably because I'm writing fantasy, you just kind of go there. And as a cosplayer, why wouldn't you? And I'm a comic book geek. You know, who doesn't want to put on body armor, for God's sake? So you know, <laughs> that's where you go. Yeah. I didn't think it was that weird. I didn't think it was, like I said, out of the realm of possibilities. And once I did it, it, it helped me. And I had done it first. Uh, I did a photo shoot with five characters. just to, And I did it in one day, which I will never do again. Uh, but we, you know, we shot for like 14 hours and I got to see, oh yeah, this is how, you know, Lady Navi would look. And, okay. She's, you know, a warden of the peacocks and this is how I want. And I want her to have this ability and whatever. And it just kind of helped me. But once again, I, I thought everybody did this. I thought everybody would want their characters drawn out so they could see them and, and take on characteristics. 
uh, later I found out, no, not everybody does that. So, you know, it just... I think that's awesome, though. ...kind of happens. Uh, as for dressing up, when I do interviews and things, part of it was, or still is, because as an author, you hide behind your characters, you know? Yeah. We, uh-huh. we write, we create our worlds, and then we're like, yeah, we're done. But then you have to go out and speak about it. So it, it, a little of it was armor, you know, a little bit of it was to kind of mm-hmm. help. But then I felt like, well, if I'm going to talk the talk, I better walk the walk. You know, if I'm going to say this is a world for everybody to get lost in, I better put the sparkles on, put the wing on, put the crown on and tell them, come visit my world. I I think too many authors, and this is fiction nowadays, are like, they almost act like for a reader to come to them, it's like, oh, I'm letting you in my world. No, no, no. It's an honor if you spend your hard-earned money on a Fay book for me. I'm like, yes. oh, thank God you want to read my book. Holy cow. Okay, let me take you by the hand and let me show you. I am going to be your tour guide to everything Fay. What do you want to know? Let's go. I'm taking you into the veil. So I feel like dressing up is me saying, I believe in this product so much. I'm going to put sparkles on my face. I am going to wear a crown. I'm going to get myself in a corset and I am Queen Aurora and let's go people. I believe so much in this book and I am so thrilled that you even want to spend five minutes in it and you want to spend your hard earned money because let's face it, cash is hard to come by. Uh, If you want to spend 20 bucks or you want to buy it on audio, I am going to make sure you have the best possible time. If that means dressing up, damn, I'm going to dress up and let's go. (laughs) And that's, I love that's that. how I feel about it. So yeah, I'm going to dress up and, you know, I'm going to show you a, a fay good time and that's it. Yeah. I think that that is a beautiful creative process because not only does it give you a better sense of the world and going into the detail of like, would they wear a cape? Would they do this? Could they move? Gives you a different perspective and putting yourself in that role is something very interesting. I'm currently working on a book where the main character is me. I don't usually write myself. Usually I write other people. I don't, I don't like to write myself. And I very much find myself, uh, the last books I wrote, I had art kind of sprinkled throughout, uh, not a graphic novel or anything, but art sprinkled throughout. And I won't have to rely on an artist this time because all of the art in this book is going to be real pictures taken. I'm the main character. So the pictures will be of me in character doing all of these things. And I think that that adds a layer of, you know, not only context, but also texture Mm -hmm. and the fact that that's what you're doing and people get to see you out doing this thing. Like I would love to go to an event, a comic con, like I'm sure you do where like you are, you are this character and not only do people come up and talk to you, oh, who, you know, maybe who are you supposed to be? Because they don't know. But then the people that do know are like, oh, you're and they recognize you from the cover of your books or they recognize you from, you know, what they've read. And I, I think that that's awesome. Uh, a segue from that. You um, I love that you like lean into your knowledge and skill from your martial arts background to uh, form your fight scenes. What does and doesn't work. Um, I think that that lowers the risk of blunders in writing and things that just like somebody's going to come across. Like I'm not 
an expert on anything at all by like any means but one of the things i really don't like is when it comes to weapons and weapons training i grew up with like a military family and all that so like i grew up around guns i grew up around weapons it's just one of those things that like when you get a detail wrong it instantly pulls me out because all you had to do was ask one person that knows a little bit and you would have fixed that so i was reading a book the other day and it it said something about a um a double action gun needing to be cocked before it was fired. And that's literally the opposite. A double action means that you, that it it is actioned, whether you have it cocked or not, there go double a single action. You would have to cock to get it to be ready to fire. And it just like disappointed me because it's like, that's a simple question that you could have Googled. And what is a single action? What is a double action? And it would have fixed that. And you're already taking steps to like have that acted out. So you know this is going to work. You know that this thing, like this cape, nope, I wouldn't wear this cape because if I jump off this horse or if I run into this battle, whatever it is, if I jump off this dragon, I don't got to worry about it getting snagged on something. So why would that character in any way wear that? And I, I think that that's another really good, you know, author tool that you use. And that's, again, why, you know, learning about you, wanting you onto the show your process is so much different than anything I've heard, but still similar to aspects of some of my work, some of, I'm sure a lot of authors out there that don't feel like, Oh man, I'm weird. Cause I, nobody else does that. So I, I think it's amazing that you're doing that. And I think that, you know, it's inspiring to people to be like, no, go act out your stuff, go read and rewrite. And, you know, Oh, this hair, doesn't fall the right way because a crown wouldn't let it like whatever that thing is, is I I think that's awesome. So keep that up. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've done, I've rewritten so many fight scenes and I don't do big sweeping battles. You will, you will not see a thousand horses charging across the field in my books because I, I don't, I don't know what that's like. So I try not to write about that because I just don't know. My fight scenes are more condensed. Uh, usually it's not more than a couple people. Because then I, I can see. I, I Look, I love my superhero movies. I'm the first one. And I, I don't think we're <laughs> at Marvel fatigue yet. Uh, DC's another thing. But, oh, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> once you got rid of Cavill, I was kind of out. But, you know, yeah. I I don't want it to be. I, I love The Dark Knight. I love Christopher Nolan. But part of what bothered me about that movie was all you saw was a black cape twirling a close-up of a fist and you were still sitting there going, what's happening? What's, what's going on? I want to see the fight scenes. I want my readers to sit there in the middle of it and go, I can picture everything that's happening here. Okay. There's an elbow mm-hmm. a crossing elbow. It's coming to this guy's forehead. It's splitting it open on a diagonal. Okay. I can see everything. I get where it's coming from and I've acted them out. I just had a fight scene in book. Um, it's actually in book six where I kept rewriting the sword. Cause I'm like, all right, is it a cross? Is it this? Okay, if, if they're looking from behind, well, then I guess technically it's cutting left to right. And I was going back and forth on this because I'm like, well, if the reader's looking at it from behind the person, then yes, they're cutting right to left. But from the sword holders, it's left to right. And this this was going back and forth. I rewrote this line probably 50 times because I was trying to figure <laughs> out where would the reader be looking? Because I yeah. write from that omniscient point of view and I'm like, where would... Okay, do I want them from behind the sword hood? Do I want... And this is going back and forth. And it's always something because I want the reader to feel like they are right there in that fight scene. And they're like, I can see yeah. all of this that's going on. And they're not going, well, there's a fist going into a stomach. But I don't, I don't know how they punch. Was it an uppercut? Was it a straight? No. 
I want them to leave going, I got it. Okay. I got what she's doing. I just, I find it interesting. Uh, I was told many times to change my name, to change it to my initials. Mm -hmm. Don't let anybody know you're a female writing fantasy because the blowback I got was she's very angry when they would read my fight scenes versus, you know, they're good fight scenes to where if it was a male, it was like, oh, those are great fight scenes. But as a female, I'm angry. And I, I find that always an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, um, that's actually um, one of my next questions. Uh, I asked you before we got on here what your name was actually what you wanted to be called. And I am going to make a better effort on any female guest or female identifying guest I get to ask them how they, what they want to be called because uh, I just interviewed somebody and their published work is under their maiden name, but they got married. So there's like a discrepancy between their Instagram and like social media stuff versus their writing name. And that was something that like, I, like I understand, I know that that, that that is a thing, Mm -hmm. but I never realized how much of a challenge that could be. And I, I wouldn't have given context to say, Oh wait, you know, I guess you, you do have technically two different names per this thing. And uh, I introduced her same way I introduced you at the beginning of this episode. But before I got to her last name, I said, you tell everybody what you want to be called and, and what you, what you choose to be, because I'm giving you space to have a voice right now, no matter the circumstance. And, you know, I'm glad that you, like I said, you went there with that, you know, name, uh, you know, stupidity, um, so I, I was just curious is, you know, was there anything else that um, that happened besides, you know, whether they would take the, the fight scenes? Was there more struggle with being a fantasy writer and a female fantasy writer at that where like, you know, you, you had to face some of that adversity? I had a lot of uh, Four Horsemen publications did not want me to change my name. So they, they were happy for me to stay as Danielle M. Orsino. Uh, Thank you. A lot of people were like, can you make it DM Orsino? They were like, or could you take your married name? And I'm like, my maiden name, I, all my martial arts was under Orsino. So I was like, I'm not switching my name. It will be Danielle M. Orsino because I'm a martial artist. I write good fight scenes. I'm sticking with that. The funny thing was they were like, okay, well, if you're going to stay Danielle, can we get some romance? And I'm like, yeah, what, why am I putting romance? I was like, I'm, I'm fantasy. And they were like, but, can we make it a little more romantic? They were like, cause it's the Fae. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, why am I putting romantic? No, I was like, my girl, you know, Aurora is busy becoming queen. She doesn't have time to start swiping right or left. Like she's got stuff to do. <laughs> she don't have time. I said, and King Jarbok, he's, he's getting ready to, you know, have a war. Once again, he doesn't have time to go pillaging and raping. I don't want him doing that. So I turned around and I made King Jarbok a virgin. And they were like, you're going to make a dark Fay King male virgin, a virgin. I was like, yep. I just decided that. I love it. And I did it specifically because the other publishers were pushing me to play into the stereotype of the dark Fay King being a player. And I was like, nope, he's now a virgin. That's what I've decided. <laughs> I, like I was it. like, yeah, I, I was like, like he doesn't even know what sex is. I was like, in fact, it's not sex. It's aura blending. We're, we're going to go in a totally different direction. <laughs> the Fay do it simply because they want the energy they they don't fall in love with the package they fall in love with energy so guess what he's never aura blended nope 
Yep, he can be the greatest warrior <laughs> on the planet. He has never aura blended a day in his life. And in fact, his lieutenant, who is a player, has got to explain it to him. So we're going to have the most horrible father-son discussion, the most awkward discussion you could ever have. I love it. I'm going to now put in this book, and I'm not going to use one sexual term. And they were like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, don't worry. I'm going to – now, it took me a long time to figure it out. Don't get me wrong. This, yeah. this, this was all big talk, and I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And I did it using all battle terms, but I went against the grain, and I made both king and queen virgins. They had no idea what they were doing. I love it. Because I was like, I'm not going to play that. into this fae stereotype that every fae book is some romantic smut thing and disguise mm-hmm. it as fantasy because I don't like when young adult, and I'm not young adult, I could be, but because I have religious aspects, they won't let me. When these young adult books who that are fae throw a lot of smut and then go, but I'm young adult. No, you're not. You're smut. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get it straight. But just because yeah. it's fae, it has to be romance. No, I'm a fantasy book. I have romance toward the end of this volume. There is a little bit, but that's not my central story or plot. And because I'm a woman, I have to have it. Heck no. That's, I'm political intrigue. I'm other things. It's, it's alternative history. There's other things going on. It doesn't Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I have to write romance. Like This isn't Romeo and Juliet. Let's get over it. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I don't know if you remember when I introduced you and I said you were doing things by your own recipe and that right there is just a little sprinkle right there (laughs) of something different. And that's again, you know, just, just doing the research on what you've done. I was like, yeah, this is yep somebody that lives by their rules and isn't going to be told, well, you have to do this or, well, you have to do that. And it's just going to knuckle under. It's like, this is my work and this is what I want. I self-published because I fall under horror, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm not a horror writer. Like, can I write horror? I am working on a horror script. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's not what this is. This book is a edit or these books are at, at their center, a family story that just happens to be during a zombie apocalypse. There's so much more mm-hmm. to it than that. Yep. And when people read it, uh, my, one of my, I think, I think it was one of my cousins read it. She was like, I don't like zombies. I don't like horror. I don't like gore. I don't like anything. And I was like, this is a zombie apocalypse written for you then. Right. It's not, it's, it's not designed to be all of those tropes that everybody tries to make. Mm -hmm. It's more centered around the people accomplishing just like an ordinary task in itself. That would be devastating to do while there just happens to be living dead things trying to eat you. Like there's, there's a whole, another aspect of it. So I I think that finding another writer that also is like, you know, I'm going to take this world. I'm going to shift it 30 degrees to the left. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to sprinkle in a bunch of things that like, I want not what the world says it's supposed to be. Not what, you know, what this says. Like one of my favorite things about my books is I, I built a world around a virus that is, um, derived from an existing sickness that affects a lot of people that the symptoms mimic what a zombie would do just in an accelerated form. Mm -hmm. And that gives credence to what a zombie is instead of just saying, Oh, zombie virus got out. And now everybody is zombie. Mm -hmm. That's, 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 I don't no, I don't want that. I don't need that. So I think it's awesome that you also said, you know, I'm going to make this whole thing, you know, the smut that you want, I'm going to make it so it can't even exist in my world just simply because 
I don't want to. That's not the focus of this book. So yeah, I, I love I love it already. I love that that is the kind of person you are, but also that's the integrity you have behind your work. And that's again why you know why I have you here in Holmes Room. Thank you. Um, what's your favorite thing about writing? Like since since you just told us a little bit about how how you go about writing, what's your favorite thing about it? Um, I was very surprised. It's it's funny because um, I was watching something, and I think the the question was. Uh, it was oh, I was watching the move, uh, the new show Kaleidoscope, and somebody had said on it, "Well, if we get this this billion dollars, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this, and I never have to work again." And it struck me that even if I had all this money and I never had to work again, I'd actually miss writing. That was the first thing, and that's when I knew I was doing something that I really loved. And I think what I love most about writing is just creating these worlds, creating these characters. It, it just it's just something that kind of sings to my soul. I was just talking to CR again today. Uh, and I said, Oh, I have this new idea for um, a series. And she was like, Oh, we're we getting away from the fame. I'm like, no, no, they will always be there. But we were joking <laughs> about it uh, because our publisher has a new writing contest and we were discussing it. And I said, um, you know, the contest is uh, the other horsemen. Like, okay, you got the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but what, the, what about the others? And it's, it's this new con. And I said, no, I'm like, I think I'm going to write about uh, the four horsemen, but like, what if Pestilence had a sister named, you know, who wants to be the four horsemen named Joy, you know? And I was just like, I said, <laughs> yeah. what if like, you know, Pestilence's real name was Alyssa and she was like some like, you know, little, like this teenager, yeah. this sullen teenager. And she's like, my name is really Alyssa, but I go by Pestilence. And like her, her father was Archangel <laughs> Michael. And he was like, my daughter's a legacy. But she had a younger sister going like into freshman, her freshman year of high school. And she wants to be Joy. Like she doesn't understand the whole four horsemen thing. So her name is Joy. And she just, she wants to like teach the world to dance before the apocalypse comes because (laughs) she's obsessed with the song from Prince 1999. And she was just (laughs) like, this is what you've been thinking about. I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I've been thinking about. I'm like, she doesn't want to ride a horse. Instead, she wants a corgi. That's, that's her life. Like, this that. is what she's thinking. She wants to wear pink overalls and she wants to go to school. And Alyssa is trying to tell her, like, you, you can't go to school like this. And they go to Horseman, the Horseman Academy, because her father's <laughs> like, you're going to be like, you're going to be the next Horseman. This is this is, you know, legacy. And she was like, seriously, this is what you've been doing all morning. She's like, you have another novella <laughs> that you've got to get out. And I'm like, I know. I know. I was like, and I realized, like, that's what I love. I love creating yeah new characters and new things that people can just get lost in or for two seconds, like just forget about their life because we turn on the news and it's just depressing. It's just fear mongering. And I'm not saying conspiracy theories, like it doesn't matter what your beliefs are, like, you know, whatever, what side of the aisle, none of that. I'm just saying you turn on the news and it's just always something. It's like mm-hmm. floods over here. This is going on over there. I'm like, isn't it nice to pick up? That's why I started this. And just, yeah, that's why I started this. Like get lost. So I'm like, I just love writing and thinking my book or my story. Somebody can come home after a day and be like, I'm just going to go read a good book. I think that's the best yeah. part of writing. That is, I, I like that. That's a good answer for that. Um, you talked a little bit about it in that answer, which you're like segueing into my questions really well. And I think that either means that like you're a perfect conversationalist or I I wrote questions that like 
we're vibing somehow flow mm-hmm. exactly, yeah, exactly somehow flow really well and i love that um so you know i was going to ask you about character building you know can you tell me a little bit about how you build your characters i know like once a character is created um like once i create it you know the person is in my mind and i can hear them i can see them they you know they they speak to me you know if i'm sleeping they might be like hey you know what i want to do and like that's an idea that i that i wake up and i have to make a note of or whatever it is um you know they can even give me some dirty looks you know if i don't do right by them if i do something you know a little crazy like i killed off a character in my second book and it was not received well but in the way that it was meant to be not received well it was a pivotal moment that had to happen and i remember struggling with it for days like you said going back and you know do i write this do i not write this do i and i can't talk to anybody about it because i because it's it's a thing so i just had to sit with it and i remember sitting in front of a tv i don't remember what was on and i just heard his voice in the or i shouldn't say heard his voice but i i i saw him in front of me mm-hmm. and he pointed at the computer that was sitting on my lap and he nodded his head and I was like, okay, I guess, I guess this is what I'm doing. So, you know, can you tell me about how you build characters and you know, what that, what that process is like for you? Uh, most of my characters. Yeah. They live in my head. They're just there. They're the voices are there. They're just, they live rent free. Uh, they talk to me. Sometimes they just show up. Um, I never sat down and had a character building formula. Like I know some people do, they like right, you mm-hmm. know, they they fill out like a psychology psychological. I've tried profile. that. It doesn't work for me. I don't know how they do that. I I, I don't do yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't work for me either. That's that's never worked. That's never happened. I don't know. Uh, for me, they they just exist. I don't know if that makes sense, but they're mm-hmm. just there. They talk to me. Uh, like I said, when Jarvok's name became Jarvok, he was like, "Yeah, I like that better. Go with that." work with that honey uh yeah. they all have theme songs that they go with <laughs> i like that uh you know indiga who i never thought i'd write little kids in the fate world that was never a plan never mm-hmm. when indiga who's about six years old came in she was not planned literally i was sound asleep and all of a sudden this little curly haired like eloise at the plaza fay like was skipping <laughs> rope across my brains and cherry bomb came blasting through my head and she was skipping rope going get up it's time to write my story and i sat up <laughs> at 3 a.m and she was just like so this is what i'm like and she was a sarcastic little thing petulant and she's like so get up and let's go and i was like <laughs> and i got up and i wound up writing her into the story and she became one of my favorites and she's gone straight through she was not planned she just popped into my head and was like up let's go come on hit that computer and I was writing yeah. for like hours about her and, you know, and then from her came Lisa, came Dora and like all these characters came off of her. And I was like, uh, okay, Indiga's here. She hasn't left, you know, like, yeah, there she is. Um, some of the other characters, a lot of the original ones were based off people I knew. That's how it yeah. is. Serena, the mermaid is my best friend from high school, Jen. That's that Serena and Jen are the same. I mean, <laughs> she's a ride or die girl. Uh, our talks on the beach that Aurora and Serena have are Jen and I sitting at Fawnstock when we thought we knew everything, you know, as teenagers <laughs> and we're like, we're so deep. Yeah. That's then the, the chapter in locked out of heaven. The first book girl talk 
is inspired by her and I sitting on the beach and her being like, I'm going to give it to you straight. You might not want to hear it. I love you, but here. That's, that's Jen. I could be driving something off the cliff, put my hair on fire. And she'd be like, you're doing so good. This is so great. We're totally going to talk afterwards. But for right now, go team. And then when I'm done, she'll be like, okay, so we got to talk about what, what just happened here. You know? Shout out, Jen. Yeah. Shout out, Jen. We like you. You know, and like her and I could be out there. I could be face down, like facing down people. And I can be like, that sky is purple. And she'll be like, it's totally purple. We'll get behind closed doors. And she'll be like, what do you think of that sky is purple? You know, but it's like behind closed doors <laughs> in front of everybody. She'll yeah. be like, sky is purple. And she'll be nudging me like, I don't know what you're on right now, but that sky is purple. Behind closed doors, yeah, she'll be like, that, the sky is blue. What the hell are you doing? But in front of everybody, she'll have my back 110%. Uh, Hoggle, the metal gnome, is my dad. My dad is a motorcycle racer. He builds, you know, he's built cars my whole life. He's, I mean, he'll turn anything into something pretty. Like the fuse box. He hated cool. it. We, yeah. So finally he was like, I'm going to airbrush it. He airbrushed a whole twilight. <laughs> like this whole midnight sky. And he was like, there, isn't it so much prettier? Okay. So that's who he is. You know, he turns the ordinary into something extraordinary. Everybody is, you know, is somebody. A fae is somebody I know. You know, the dragons are my yeah. dogs. You know, Los, the <laughs> chameleon cool. dragon, my Yorkie. Uh, Lady Penelope, you'll meet her later on. Uh, she's the leader of the Aubain faction. That's my little Chewini. <laughs> They're all somebody. That's, yeah. That sounds like the age old, you know, write what you know and doing it in a way that is not only paying like homage to those people, but also informing off of a real person who this character is in a way that's interesting. Like I know I definitely didn't do that. So when I create characters, they kind of tell me who they are. They don't, they don't, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to look at a person and be like, Hey, you're like such and such. Um, I like my mind doesn't work that way. So I think that's, that's like amazing that your mind works where you can relate this character into this person. And now you have a template to go off of like, okay, you know, you're a ride or die person. So I know where in the world you fall and know how you would, how you would be. And you don't, you don't have the, um, the unfortunate man. What does this person look like? What are the, what accent might they have? What, like you might do all of those things, but you still have that like base of like, this is, this is my person. I know I have the this person is that thing. You know, like I, I have the base. Exactly. Motivation. Exactly. Uh, the bishops, which a lot of people don't know, the bishops got their name because I had a uh, martial art, the head of my martial art organization hated my guts and his name was Mr. Bishop and he was always my nemesis. So the bishops, a lot of people think that like, there's some religious meaning to the bishops. No, Mr. Bishop just hated me. So when I needed a bunch of villains, I was like, ah, oh, the bishops, you know, it was like, that's how I pulled yeah. things. It's just, I went with what I knew. And to me writing, it doesn't matter if you're writing fantasy rom-com thriller whether you add scales or not it, it's just interpersonal dynamics you're just pulling from that so that's kind yeah. of what i did you know uh even down to comic books uh king jarbok a lot of his motivation is magneto from x-men you may mm -hmm. not agree with his methodology but in the end he's trying to protect his kin you just might not yeah. like it same thing with Jarbok. He's just trying to protect his people. 
Yeah, the hero of their own story. Yeah. That's a, that's you know the best way to write a to write you know any kind of you know uh, antagonistic character is that like that's the they they have to be the hero of their story. If they're not, then they're just serving no purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a perfect way to segue into you know my my next question is you know do you have a nugget of wisdom for any writers out there anybody that's like trying to become a writer like what's one thing that you wish somebody had told you when you started this uh don't write by committee keep it to yourself i like that uh you're not gonna please everybody so don't even try just write the story that you wish somebody would publish because guaranteed if you're looking for it someone else out there is is got the same taste and is looking for it just don't write by committee don't give it to a lot of people don't give it to your friends and family as much as friends and family want to be supportive, the thing is, is when you tell somebody, I'm going to be a writer, they're like, there's no money in writing. It's usually the first thing they say. Yeah. yeah. Don't bother. Just write your story, write your truth, and then go find a good editor and pay. Pay the money for the good editor. That you know, And understand an editor is only going to catch 80% of the mistakes. So you might have to go get another one and figure out the difference in editing. There's developmental edit. There's copy edit. There's line edit. There's different editors. Spend the money. It will just make you a better writer. So don't write. Don't write by committee. Keep it to yourself and then spend the money on the editors. I had a developmental editor first, Cleet. Cleet Barrett Smith is a god. He's my Yoda. He's the greatest thing ever as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. I'm like, I love him. I love him. I love him. I cannot say en- enough nice things about him. Cleet and I sat down and I gave him the first book and locked out of heaven was originally the first three books. It was one book. And he was the one who was like, look, Danielle, this is amazing. You don't have the audience and the readership first to hold everybody and hold their attention for 500 pages. He's like, this is awesome. Yeah. But let's just sit and think about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just helped me flush things out and showed me there, you know, there might be a little plot hole here and there. Uh, so, and then I went to Christina. Christina was, uh, I found her after, uh, she did not do the line editing for Locked Out of Heaven. She did it for Thine Eyes of Mercy. And then from that on, she taught me line editing and copy edit. So learn the tools, research it, and then get it. Because it's only going to make you better. The other very important thing I would tell any writer, if you are lucky enough to publish, whether self-publishing, traditional, hybrid, whatever it is, always remember that whatever the first book is, think of it like a yearbook. Think of it as your yearbook photo. That's where you were at that time. Don't keep going back and being like, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done that better, whatever. I like that. Think of it as your yearbook. You can't go back and retake that photo. It doesn't matter. It's done. Close the book and just be like, that's where I was as a writer at that point in time. That was as much knowledge as I had, whatever it is. It was really good for where you were. Be proud of it, own it, and walk away. Don't keep going back. Because you're only going to beat yourself up. You're from the minute you end that book, you are a totally different writer. You're not the same. Don't beat yourself. I would up. agree with that. I like that. Um, so uh, I um, I heard you say something on an interview where you know your health was you know telling you no, and you shouted back, "This is my life," and you know you found yourself at a crossroads, you know, and you chose to to do things for you and i think that that's not only brave but also you know almost shaping who you are as a human in a moment 
yeah, I had, um, it was funny to get to being a writer. I had, I had my plan first, but I, writing was not, it was not on the horizon. I didn't think one day I'm going to be a writer. My dad will tell you, you know, I said that in like second grade in an essay, but the following week I also wrote <laughs> that I wanted to be Wonder Woman. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, I was dead set on being a physician assistant, nurse practitioner, something to that extent. I paid a lot of money, you know, for the prereqs. I was going to, I was going to be a mid-level provider, pump Restylane into people's faces, make money, be a happy little camper. That was my goal. Uh, I was working as a nurse. I was finishing everything as I was going. First I developed, uh, I found out I was anaphylactically allergic to the, the drugs I was actually giving the patients and mixing every day. I went into anaphylactic shock Ooh. after a needle stick and I was treated with those drugs. Went into anaphylactic shock, almost died. Still went back to work. I still thought that's okay. My patients need me. I'll find a way around it. Still wasn't taking the hint that the universe was sending me. I was telling my patient the story at the time, and he was like, You should go write this down. And I was like, Nope, nope, nope. Not going to do it. And was interviewing, going through the whole CASPA PA process, and doing all of that. And then I actually was sitting at my nurse practitioning entrance school interview. And I'm sitting there. And it's not going well at all. It's going really bad. And I'm getting a headache of just gigantic proportions. And the doctor is sitting at the end and she's looking at me and my eyes are actually tearing. And she's like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Just trying to get through this interview and it's downhill. It's going real bad. And I'm like, no. And she's looking at me and she's like, you sure? Yeah, good. Interview ends. And she's the only one who talks to me. And she's like, apply to the PA program. She's like, but get home. You don't look good. I'm like, yeah, on my way home. I drive home and I can barely drive home. The sun's hurting everything. I get home. I walk in the door and I'm trying to tell my husband like how it went. And my little Yorkie is barking and just trying to claw at the back of my head. And I pick him up and he starts sniffing and he's clawing at it. And finally, I'm like, I put him down and I'm just like, everybody shut up because I can't handle it. And two seconds later, I feel something hit me in the back of my head and I drop to my knee. And as I lift my head up, my eye is drooping, my mouth is drooping. And I look at my husband, I say, I think I'm having a stroke. It's Bell's palsy. It's something. He's like, yeah, your face looks like it's melting. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Got to the hospital. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're having a stroke. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, this figures. And I'm ready to like go after the university. I'm like, they, they did this to me. It's too much stress in the, you know. Yeah. I have a CAT scan. I come out. I'm being seen by a doctor and a PA, of course. And they're like, well, you're, you know, the CAT scan doesn't say strokes. That's good. You're having a complex migraine. I'm like, okay. They're like, go see a neurologist. And that's all they tell me. And they release me. My boss gets the results and calls me and says, you need to come up here. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I just got to go to a neurologist. It's fine. She's like, no, no, no. You need to come up. I get up there and she slides the results and she goes read and i see dilated infundibulum of the of the left posterior communicating artery preaneurysm and i'm like uh, <clears throat> what she goes honey you got an aneurysm i was oh, wow. born with it um it you, you usually usually the type i have die before you're six years old or it starts changing at a certain time in life i was directly at that certain time in life it changed again six months later and became a full aneurysm. 
I am not a candidate for packing, coiling, cauterizing, nothing like that because where it's located, because I also happen to have basilar fenestration, um, which is where the basilar artery of the brain bifurcates and one side is patent, meaning it works and the other side, you don't know what's going on. So they can't measure it because it'll affect directly the aneurysm. So I had just awesome. And so I went and saw the neurologist. I've seen several and they were the one who I turned out to be my favorite was just like, you want to go to PA school and put yourself through the stress. And I'm like, um, I, uh, and I just looked at him. He was like, okay. And I still was like, I'm going, got my PA school interview, sat there. And just as that was happening, the book started gaining some traction and I had gotten, I was going to get an offer from one of the big three, but I couldn't work at the PA school said, you can't work at the same time the book is released or else you are in violation of your contract with the PA school and that's $30,000 fine and you are Ooh. kicked out. You also, all your loans go into default and you cannot transfer because it's medical oh. school. So now I get in the yeah. program, I've got the aneurysm. Oh, and by the way, you're allergic to the drugs. So we got to figure out a way around this. So I call the gentleman who interviewed me and I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I tell him about it and he looks at me and he, well, you're on the phone. He gets really quiet. He goes, you were the redhead, right? I go, yeah. He goes, you wore a blue power suit. I'm like, oh yeah. He goes, everybody else wore black. You wore shocking blue. I'm like, I'm just trying to stand out, you know? <laughs> he goes, read the room next time, yeah. sweetie. I'm like, got it. Check. No problem. He goes, bet on red. Bet on yourself. And I was like, I love it. Okay. And I just hung up the phone and I'm like, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go write a book on fairies. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go write a book on fairies. I'm going to figure out this aneurysm. Uh, I'm going to get Botox injections, 50 of them every three months in my head to control the migraines. Cause that's what they were most worried about. And the migraines were coming every day. And I'm going to go write a book about fairies. And then I called my father. <laughs> And I had to tell him, and that was a scary phone call. Because, you know, you're telling your very religious dad, I'm going to go write a book about angels who are fairies, and I'm not going to go to med school, and I paid all this money. And <laughs> Wow, that was that was probably scarier than anything else I faced. Yeah. And that's what I did. And um, I had to leave nursing because of the allergies and everything else like that. Mm -hmm. I left it all behind, and I threw caution to the wind, and now I dress up like a fairy, and I write books about them. I mean, like, you know, yeah, I put sparkles I, on my face and I it go. It sounds like you, it sounds like writing actually saved your life, which is oh, an interesting notion in itself. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the reason why you're doing it is not awesome, but I think it's awesome that, you know, you were able to to do that. We, uh, we here have adopted the term pivoting or to pivot, meaning mm -hmm. life gave you one thing and you could have been like, and I'm going to sit on this couch and do nothing and, you know, or I can pivot towards what life has kind of given me and I'm going to take this path because I'm not, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to just throw my hands up and be like, woe is me. And, you know, I think that's awesome that you, uh, there was a little woe with up... me. Let, me, let me tell you, there was a little woe with me there for a second. There was a little bit of, uh, you know, but I couldn't lay there, you know, yeah. it was like, get back up. And I kind of, think the universe was always pushing me but i joke the universe mm -hmm. throws a pebble and then when you don't get it it's like 
Here's a bigger one. Here's a brick. Finally, they throw a boulder. I got the boulder. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a, that, I like that analogy. Um, so just real quick, uh, what's next for you? What else, what you got coming? Um, I actually have signed uh, a partnership deal for the development uh, with Meldiverse. And we are doing a Los AR game. So, oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, you will be able to adopt your own virtual AR dragon in the Meldiverse. You'll <laughs> download the Meldiverse app. That's cool. And then you will get your own Los the Chameleon Dragon. And you will be able to have cool. your own little Los because I think everybody should have a Los. And uh, we're hoping June ish this year will be the beta. And um, then you'll be able to take Los with you, you know, feed him, do all different things. Eventually, you know, he'll get his own little armor set and do all these little different tricks with him. So we're really excited about that. And then hopefully, eventually, we'd like to uh, build out the veil and have, um, you know, an AR game of, you know, with all the characters. But for right now, we're just starting out with Los, which is pretty cool because he is the cutest dragon ever. And, uh, you know, try out and see what it's like to have your own little chameleon dragon. And it's based directly off the character Los. Uh, Pandy Van, who's my dragon illustrator, helped. And, uh, you know, you'll see what Los looks like. And he does actually look like my little Yorkie. So uh, it's it's kind of cool. So Meldiverse we're working with. That is really cool. You can follow them on Instagram. And uh, we'll see where that goes. I'm working on, currently working on book six. Should be out June 16th about that time okay is that and yeah. then i will be at galaxy con richmond virginia with the pop-up bookshop and i'll be there for uh i believe it's march 22nd i have to get that date checked but brown there <laughs> galaxy con <laughs> yeah. and we'll be there and i'll be there signing books and doing all that cool stuff and then um volume two i'm working on right now which will be uh what my patient is uh his persona so the one who started this all, he's actually the protagonist of volume two, Agent Graham. Oh, cool. So I'm pretty excited yeah, about like all that. of that. Yeah. So Birth of the Face series so, is available, you know, everywhere books are sold. That's cool. Um, you know, once the, once the you know, adopting a, a little Los Dragon happens and you guys figure out everything to do with that, maybe you'll have to pop back on real quick for us and tell us how that's going and tell us a little that. bit more about that once you've got the ins and outs. So that's, that's pretty cool. All right. Um, we like to end with a little uh, this or that. So uh, I'm going to hit you with some questions, okay? Awesome. Uh, Faye or vampires? Faye. Uh, I like it. Um, a little bit of sparkle or a lot of bit of dark fay. Oh, kind of like a lot of bit of dark fay. Yeah, that one. That one was a, one of the harder ones to come up for mm. you. It's just like ah, I think she, I could. She could go either I way could. on this one. I like that. Um, the uh, the perfect costume or the perfect character creation. Oh, costumes, and I can make I can make a character out of that. I like it. See, and you, you have such like a backwards engineering to like how people are, how you make your characters. And that's so wild to me. Like, I know for me, like creating a character is always so like, okay, you know, what does this person look like? How big are they? And then from there I can block in what they look like. And then, mm-hmm. you know, where, where might they be from? What, what kind of background did they have? You know, are they like capable are they not and i have to go through all that where it seems like you could go the exact opposite direction like okay this person wears this thing and yeah you you can just i think that yeah i think that's that's amazing because i definitely could be like okay 
dude wears overalls and I, I guess he's six feet. Cause most people, I mm-hmm. like, I, I wouldn't, my mind wouldn't go there. And I think that's, that's awesome that your mind would. Um, I, uh, we like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, support here and support systems. And if you do in mind, you know, w- tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what your support system looks like. Cause you're definitely on the path of like tremendous success and a lot of people that would, you know, aspire to do half of what you've done. So, you know, what, what does your support system look like? Cause that's always an important aspect of creating being an artist. Uh, my husband is a big supporter. Uh, and believe it or not, my patient who started this whole thing, I am still friends with him to this day. And it's been nine years since I first met him. And oh, wow. we are still friends. I talk to him every day. Uh, he's read all the books. So that's that's another piece. My pups are constant sources of, you know, they're my muses. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a big thing. Uh, and having another author, I think, is helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. C.R. Rice has been a, a huge, you know, person to bounce ideas off of. You know, like I said, as today, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the other horse, we were just we just went and then it just kept going. And now we're actually discussing even doing uh, a crossover between our, our two books and, and how that could blend. Oh, that's yeah. so, you know, I think you need another author, another creative mind to go back. Yeah. Uh, and then Pandy Van, who's my dragon illustrator. We met, I think I've known Pandy about three years now. So having another creative person who sees it from a different angle, I think is very important mm-hmm. because her creative um, engineering is different than mine, but it's been very helpful uh-huh. and she understands my world. So I think those are different support groups and different mm-hmm. plugs. Yeah, absolutely. Than mine. And uh, for, for creating the world that you're creating it very much like for, for me, who is writing in an existing world, you know, I could walk downtown in my local city and like, pick out inspiration, pick out things and it's whatever. But for you creating, creating an entire world, you know, having people to bounce ideas off of that also have done the same thing that also have, you know, different uh, characteristics of what they look for, what they do, how they operate, you know, almost seems like paramount. Like you would have to have somebody that, you know, like you said, you're a dragon illustrator, somebody that their mind works in, in that kind of a space mm-hmm. to be able to help flush out ideas. And you know, another author who can, who can relate to what you're creating and maybe give you some advice or some pointers or some like, you know, I guess critiques, not necessarily criticism specifically, but just a little bit of, Hey, like, this is what I kind of see when I read this or what I, you know, where I go, you know, I don't know if that helps you. And it seems like it would almost be like required for you to have somebody here, that kind of structure. That's just like, you know, and I think uh, the cosplay community themselves has been a support group Mm -hmm. because from day one, when I entered this space, they were like, Hey, one of our own. That's awesome. They were very much like, go get them. You know, it wasn't like, uh, somebody else trying to jump on the cosplay bandwagon. They knew me. So they were like, (laughs) yeah, go do this. You know, um, cosplay Alliance was really good. Uh, the geek group in general, you know, for geeks by geeks, you know, a lot of these guys were just like, cool, go do it because they knew that I was there. So they were, you know, they were very much like, yeah, go get them. Like we're right here. We're, we're rooting you on, go get it. So I I think having your tribe, you know, Mm -hmm. people that understand you is a big deal. So all in all, you know, my husband, like big supporter and 
my patient has been right there. And he was just like, he's, he can't wait for volume two to come out. He's like, when's my guy <laughs> coming out? He's like, when, when, when are we going to see Agent <sighs> Graham? He's like, I want Agent Graham to win. You know, so that that's all been there. Yeah. My publisher has been very good about things. Uh, putting me on the cover, that was their idea, was not mine. You know, all those things that are ready to break <laughs> yeah. barriers. That's all pretty cool. So I, I'm very happy. And my readers have been wonderful. You know, I, I can't say anything bad about my readers. Good. They've all been awesome. They're all ready for the Fae world. And I think um, I'm looking to just obviously bring more people into the veil. I like it. I like it. Um, so if people wanted to find your work, find you, uh, where can they look? What what, uh, what are your handles? Uh, you can always find me on Instagram uh, at birth of the Fae, F-A-E underscore novel. Uh, I had to take the underscore because somebody took birth of the Fae before I got there and they won't <laughs> give it up and I don't know who they are. So it's um, Instagram is birth of the Fae underscore novel. And then you can find me at my website, birth of the Fae.com or at for the number four horseman publications.com. And you can look me up under their authors there as well. And then the books are on Amazon target.com barnes and nobles.com bookshop.org. And then if you just type in, you know, uh, locked out of heaven, thine eyes of mercy, uh, from the ashes, any of those, I'll pop up. Uh, I'm actually just under Bruno Mars is locked out of heaven. We we're getting there. We're going to take over Bruno <laughs> that, Mars like one of these days, or he's going to come to me and say, "We're coming for you, Bruno. Coming we're for coming you, Bruno. for you." He, you know, him and I are going to do something one of these like days. It. He's going to redo Locked Out of Heaven just for me, for my anime. We're, we're like working it. on it. We're I working like it. on it. There you go. Um, well, that's awesome, and we'll link all that in the show notes so that people can find you. Um, I can't thank you enough for jumping on here and being dressed up as a character. Um, if you don't mind, I don't know if this is the crown that you were talking about was yes. made, but potentially you had one that was made in Topeka and I'm from Lawrence, yes. which is like half hour away. So shout out whoever made this that. This is for Enchanting me real quick. Earth. Uh, they're, they're actually in Topeka. This is, uh, they're in Topeka. They have actually a storefront, Jamie from Enchanting Earth. She has a crystal shop right in Topeka, Kansas. And this is the uh, actual crown. She has the Aurora crown in stock in her store. She gets me all my crystals. All the crystals that are in the book are from, uh, she sent me, you know, samples of them and we go back and forth. But yep, this crown has the Angelite disc from the book. It's all quartz, but she did all of it and she sells it right there on her website, on Instagram and in her store. All right. So that's one of those things, like I said, I'm, I'm from Lawrence. So that's like a, I'd like said half hour drive from me Jamie will hook and up. I definitely want to, yeah, definitely want to give them a shout out when we, uh, when we, when we can. And, you know, we'll, we'll post specifically that clip just for them and that shout out because it's a local thing. You got um, it. I, I'm rocking a Kansas city weirdo shirt. So, Perfect. you know, it's, Jamie it's what love it's about. It. Um, thanks for coming on here again uh i can't i can't tell you how you know awesome it is to have somebody with so much energy and so much passion about their writing talk about it i know that for me success is being involved in, in an atmosphere where people want to hear about my writing or people want to ask me about my writing to me that's success everything else is just extra the the true success is people caring about my work enough to want to talk to me about it so i I care about what you're doing. I think that the worlds that you're creating and the characters that you're creating and how it all came about is truly amazing. Keep it up. Can't wait to see where you go. We're looking for those low dragons coming up soon. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. The bell is about to ring. 
if you want to drop us a voice message or simply ask a question. You can do that by clicking the link in the show notes below. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. It helps more people find us. Theme music by Kinsey. More music available on Spotify. Remember, every day is a class. Go learn something.